Hey everybody, it's Mark Thompson and this is the Chief Executive Podcast. You know, every week I get the opportunity to speak with the most extraordinary chief executives and the leaders that they're developing to put in seat for that next executive role. Well, you're going to meet a woman today who's working very hard to make sure that she takes the best of her talent places them in the highest levels of responsibility and allows them to soar, which they have during the last year of the crisis all over the world. Here she is in a field, veterinary medicine, where people are relying on pets for their mental health, for their security, for their safety and their love, and she's making a huge difference in the lives of all the people she touches. A company with more than $7 billion in revenues this year. It's a company that's been rewarded for having made a huge difference in the lives of every customer they touch. Listen to this conversation with Kristen. Kristen is an, a CEO who has really been transforming the way we think about going to market in a very special range of products and services. And she's got a company that's, in a sense, has so many decades of experience, so much history, and she's brought it into the 21st century and then into the century beyond, I think, with the way you're developing this platform. And thank you so much for joining us today. And, and maybe we could start there. You could talk about what's different about this amazing journey that you're on and, and how you're taking this particular type of business uh, into its next step in the journey. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Mark. It is great to be here and to share the story of Zoetis. I jokingly sometimes say Zoetis is one of the largest companies most people have never heard of. Uh, we are the world's largest animal health company, um, and we have been transforming it. We have an almost 70-year uh, history, as you reference, in the animal health industry, making medicines, vaccines, diagnostics, and devices for almost every species other than humans. So dogs, cats, chickens, pigs, horses, cows, you name it, fish. Um, but we've been really evolving to your point over time. Um, we split off from Pfizer about eight years ago and became Zoetis. We used to be Pfizer Animal Health. Um, and back then, our whole industry really didn't exist, the animal health industry, as a public company. We were, most of our competitors uh, actually still are owned by large pharmaceutical companies. And the business of animal health was really starting to evolve and grow quite quickly. So as a new company um, who had never existed before, we had to maneuver through initial public offering, which was a really interesting adventure. Um, and we had to establish a segment, which, you know, wasn't human health. Um, it wasn't consumer. It was somewhere in between and help educate investors on that and figure out actually how to do a lot of things for the first time. So I would say the first chapter of our journey was becoming independent, um, being able to understand investors' needs. But really, the value was in focusing on what the customer needed. And that's what differentiated us. We, you know, as one of the only large public companies, um, we put the customer first and our customer is a small business owner. And that really was, I think, for us, transformational. And we were an industry that was growing at 4%. But what we've demonstrated is that we've been growing at 8 So over double the market as the world's largest company. With today, you know, our guidance for the year is uh, 7.6 to $7.7 billion in revenue. So it's been exciting. And I took over as CEO uh, right before the pandemic in uh, January of 2020. Um, and really, my goal was to build on the continuity that I was given, but get us ready for the next uh, chapter of our growth as we're doing more direct-to-consumer uh, advertising, um, as well as really reaching pet owners, as well as accelerating our digital journey. So it was most certainly an exciting time to take over, and I, I definitely had some great plans, but as we all know, you know, we have to pivot too a little. 
Well, when I think about the journey that you've been on, there's just a short list of folks who've joined just in time for one of the greatest history-making pandemics. And tell us a little bit what that experience was like. You had the best laid plans. You actually made them better. And yet there was also this period, I'm sure, where there was an existential crisis of some level for most brands. How, how did you feel about that as you're coming into seat and adjusting and then reassuring everyone else what the hell we were doing next? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I took over from an incredibly successful uh, CEO, Juan Ramon Alikes, who had led us on a journey and he'd done an amazing job. And I, I felt a lot of weight on my shoulders to continue that growth. And I had a very detailed plan. I also knew that I was chosen because they wanted to drive some change, certainly with, you know, better connecting with pet owners, as well as, you know, moving to digital and data. And I was going to be traveling the world, meeting with colleagues, meeting with customers to drive that. And like, you know, many, uh, I had to change our plans. And I think I, I learned a lot through that journey about our company and about our colleagues, but also probably about myself as a leader. Um the first thing I, I learned was the resilience um, of our colleagues, their ability to pivot on a dime. Um, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, everyone having to work from home. Well, 60% of my force had to come in. We make life-saving medicines and vaccines for animals. We were critical to maintaining a food supply in a pandemic. Um, we were critical to keeping your pets healthy, but we had to find a new way of operating, um, a new way of, you know, manufacturing and distributing our, our product so they could get to colleagues. Our supply chains got disrupted and I was just humbled by how resilient our team was. Um, and I felt that that meant as a leader, my responsibility to keep them safe, keep all of our colleagues safe, and also help them feel safe, which was not, interestingly, I learned always the same thing. Although I might know it, they had to believe it if they were going to come in and be able to do their jobs. Um, and as it's evolved, it's really investing in their wellness. Um, and the second lesson I learned is just the need to um, adapt and to be flexible. You know, we went into the pandemic with a certain plan for the year and the world changed geographically. I mean, China got hit first, but then China rebounded and we had to invest behind China. China had a phenomenal, you know, uh, year for us in the end. But that means moving resources from markets like Europe, where we were shut down for the whole year and pivoting those and then changing our supply chain. So being flexible and agile. And the lesson in, for me as a leader was those were skills that we learned and we realized we could do better than we were doing before. And really what drove that was the third lesson, which was the opportunity to empower our leaders. We thought we empowered our leaders, but when COVID hit, you couldn't make decisions centrally because every market around the world, and we're very global, was in a very different situation. Their requirements were very different. So we said guiding principles. First and foremost, we're going to keep our colleagues safe. Secondly, we're going to ask leaders to you know, allocate capital as they thought they needed, whether that was in buying PP&E or, um, you know, investing in lots of different technologies to connect with their customers. That empowerment really made a difference. And I think it's something that we can continue to grow on. And lastly, I would say it was more of a personal leadership lesson, um, the importance of authenticity. Because as COVID happened, we also had, you know, social unrest. We had George Floyd and, you know, learning to bring my own voice um, to every conversation and just the impact that that had um, as just being me about how I genuinely felt about things. I, I never thought I'd be writing weekly notes to my colleagues, um, nor probably in the voice that I was writing them, but I realized how important that was that they realized they were not alone, that um, we were all maybe in the same storm, but on very different ships. And the realization that I appreciated that, that I saw things quite differently. And I think it, you know, it made me probably lean a little bit more into my own leadership. 
Leaning in, this idea of being able to establish your voice, especially when you are in the shadow of a greatness, in a sense, the last person who was in seat, it's one of the most challenging things I remember ever facing when I was in seat where I was thinking I found it a lot easier to follow a loser than a winner. <laughs> and when you think about then establishing your own voice and how quickly you would do that, in a sense, this was a, a part of you rising to the occasion with the team and helping empower them, but also empowering you, I guess, to establish what Kristen's voice was. Yeah, in I, mean, this whole I think you put that nicely. Um, as my mother used to always say, never waste a good crisis. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess, you know, I, there was actually multiple crises. I think if you look at 2020 and yes. in 2021 as well. Um, and I think you, I've always felt you grow more as an individual through crisis and you get to see who you are and who your company is. And, you know, I couldn't be more proud of what that looked like. And I do think it, you know, it changed me as a leader and allowed me to realize the expect I didn't, the world didn't expect me or want me to be my predecessor. It was an opportunity to be me and the uniqueness that I would bring to that role. And honestly, the uniqueness that all my individual leaders did. Mm. Um, and they, they led in, in different ways, but it's the importance of authenticity. I think people know when what you're saying is what you believe and what means something personally to you versus speaking points that are put on a piece of paper. And I think it was an opportunity to really do that for leaders across the company, across the globe. You know, listening to you talk about that authenticity and, and the voice that you shared and then also helping others find their voice and express it and in the in the crucible of the times. Could you talk about how that role of each of the leaders on your team was to help build up and raise up the people around you? Because you sound very much to me like a coach. I'm privileged to be involved with uh, Sarah Hirschlin and Suzanne Lyons, who are leading the U.S. Olympic Committee for the last couple of years. And what an odd Olympics and what a challenging set of circumstances they're in and, and what a coaching culture they have that's really more nascent in the leadership or the business side. And, and yet this is how you roll. Could you talk a little bit about your, your feelings around being a coach and also creating a band of coaches uh, as a leadership team? Well, I, mean, I think, you know, First of all, I think as an organization, we're grounded in purpose. Um, and that starts with a, you know, a company purpose, and then it gets to an individual purpose. And for us, our purpose is to nurture the world um, uh, and humankind by advancing care for animals. And, you know, that purpose brings us all together with, you know, for a common goal. And so I think if you start at that starting point, you then also realize that the different teams and different colleagues in different markets face different challenges, and they need something quite different. And then when you get down to an individual team level, the individual purpose of why that colleague came to work today or comes to work most days might be quite different um, than the colleague next to him. And I think your job as a leader is to understand the purpose of your colleagues, how that aligns to the company purpose, and how you get, you know, how you help bring help that colleague bring the most of themselves every day to work. And that has to be at a you know a more local exercise. I mean, I think a corporate purpose matters, and I think it's been quite powerful us as a company. But I guess the way I do it is sitting down with each of my leadership team and understanding what drives them because what authentic leadership means for them and what their teams need from them is quite different. I mean, leading our, our manufacturing and our supply colleagues where they needed to come to work every day um, and understanding the challenges that they were facing. I mean, child care, elder care, um, really quite unique. I mean, we had same the same some issues, but they felt, felt quite differently if you were in the field force or you were an office-based worker. And so... It was important that leaders understood. I wanted to hear from them. What could the company do? I mean, we offered whole new um, benefit programs 
that we've mm. never offered before. Um, but that started with listening. And I think as a leader, you have to be willing to be vulnerable and to understand that the person across you might be having a very different experience than what you are. And it doesn't make you or them right or wrong, but it is listening that makes them feel heard, that makes a difference. And then people's willingness to challenge us and request that we offer different policies or that we be more flexible about a lot of this. So I, I think for me, that's what it was about. It was listening to where my leadership team personally were and where their organizations were and trying to help them be what they needed to be for their teams um, and vice versa for me, for them to me as well. So starting with where they were in terms of their thinking and their process and then really harvesting what is the great talent that they brought to the table. And it's evident in the results that you've been able to produce and the impact that you've had on customers and the engagement levels that you have with your employees. How would you describe how it is that we best work with a board of directors when we're going through a set of challenges like this? Because they have their own dramas in other boards and in other executive teams that they're working with. Could you talk about the dynamic there and how, how you would advise others in your role to, to think about working with the board, particularly in times of, of stress and, and crisis? Yeah, I mean, I've been on a board, uh, other boards before. Um, obviously, again, this is my first time coming in as, uh, and my board, you know, I, I had one expectation of how that was going to work. And then COVID happened and it changed. I mean, we had at one point monthly board meetings. Uh, you know, my style as a leader is, you know, as you probably learned, is very transparent. And so that was what I did. I let them know exactly where we are. And in the beginning, you know, it was obviously maintain continuity. My first thing was colleague safe. Second is continuity of supply, um, just because we make medicines and vaccines for a living, you know, we obviously needed to make sure we had enough cash on hand, you know, looking at, you know, protecting that, but we were in pretty good shape. Um, you know, we chose to continue to provide guidance, you know, obviously uh, evolved it a little as to where it went. That was a decision made with our board. Um, but things evolved very quickly in my industry. So the first, you know, if you were looking back to March, April, the sky was dark. Um, but then things started changing. China was bouncing back and we had to move investment. Pet care was taking off. Everybody was adopting a new pet. Um, and they were, you know, you got to the end of, you know, Q2 to Q3, they were back at the vet, like big time. We needed to ramp up supply, ramp up direct to consumer spending faster than we expected. At the end of the year, we delivered one of our best years ever, a 9% top line growth, 10% bottom line growth. And it was staying with the board month by month, um, making sure they knew where we were. Um, I definitely felt their support, their experience on different boards, hearing what they were hearing, um, in other industries was really super helpful to me as we were navigating how we were gonna handle all the different issues that we were facing. Knowing I wasn't alone in some of my supply chain challenges, it made me realize I need to get ahead of some of this. Maybe it's better for me, but it could get worse for me. So what am I gonna to do to plan ahead? So it was a great time to leverage, to be honest with you, their learnings from many other industries, which at times were leading us that I was gonna be facing some of those issues later. And sometimes we were leading them and they could learn a little bit from us. I mean, we made very bold decisions very early on around diversity and inclusion ahead of many other companies to divulge our numbers, to set targets. Um, you know, I, but I would say on the supply chain, I learned from a lot of other companies who were ahead of us on that. Um, we hadn't faced some of the challenges we were about to face. Um, so it was an interesting time, I will say, to sort of learn from my board. And I was really grateful that, you know, we had monthly meetings and I shared where we were honestly, and they were quite happy to share their learnings as well. It's been a, time where we're all in a battle for the best talent and to keep and retain. And as everybody's rethinking as uh, your prompt around the board and the partnership there gave me rise to the, the conversation that everybody's having, which is getting enough people, getting enough of the right people and keeping the best people engaged. 
What's your feeling about that? How do, how do you think about that today when there's probably even um, a greater demand than there might have been even a year ago? Oh, for sure there is. Um, you know, I, I think it's really important that you have a great value proposition um, as a company, that your purpose matters. Um, you know, if you look at millennials and uh, Generation Z and many other generations as well, but probably more of them, they care tremendously what a company stands for how it did respond in COVID. I mean, we've been fortunate that we have an incredible culture. Our colleague engagement is 88%. It actually went up during COVID from 86%. So we've driven that, but we're not immune, even with a great culture, I think, really strong engagement and a strong purpose to the challenges that we're having to recruit and retain colleagues. Um, and I think it goes back to where we started the conversation. I think colleagues want to stay when they feel valued, when they feel personally understood and personally heard. And you know, I say at my leadership team, we talk a lot about it. It's about, you know, first level people managers getting to know the colleague, getting to know the colleague's purpose and what motivates them. And that's why people stay. If people feel valued and a part of it, you know, you have a much better shot of keeping them. But it's also helping us. I mean, we've offered, you know, flexibility in um, where people do their jobs whenever possible. I mean, obviously, we can in manufacturing jobs, many of them, um, and sometimes in R&D. The, the war for talent is much more global and it's much more flexible. And so communicating your message as to what who you stand as a company and as where I started the conversation, many people, we may be a very large company, um, but most people have actually never heard of us. So how I get that message out has never been more important as we're growing so quickly. Um, you know, our guidance for this year is 12 and a half to 13 and a half percent growth. Um, you know, and if we deliver, that'll be one of the best years ever for the company. But that means I am constantly recruiting. We're growing dramatically and attracting that talent, as you said, as you get to people who don't know us. In animal health, you probably do. But if you're not, you probably don't. So it is really important that we can better articulate that um, and that we leverage a diverse um, set of voices to reach those messages across social media, across different channels. So, I mean, we're trying back to being flexible, adaptable. We're trying to do that in new ways that we actually have never done before. Well, I'd certainly come to work for you, Kristen. Um, that, that sense of connection and the focus on really trying to recruit the best in each of these people around the world and not assuming it's the same thing for each person is a fundamental differentiator. If I turn for a moment and think about the pandemic and how you're producing COVID vaccine for animals, could you talk a little bit up in the terms that the rest of us as lay people might understand about the connection between animal sciences and and human health sciences and, and, and how you think about uh, what that might mean for our, the future, at least for your company? Sure. I mean, as you look at, um, it's the same technologies often that are used to create uh, human health medicines as animal health medicines, although oftentimes the diseases can be slightly different. Uh, we run an emerging infectious disease center that's tracking um, new viruses. And it's really important that you have a one health approach to it. One health being understanding the connection between human and animal. And the reason that matters is that 70% of infectious diseases affecting humans are animal in origin. Mm. Um, and so you look at COVID and it really is no different. We can debate, you know, lots of theories and where it came from, but you know, whether it was a bat or we can all discuss other ones, but it was likely animal in origin, um, the variants that we're seeing and where COVID-19 really came from. And so it really does matter that you're looking at, you know, a, a comprehensive view of that. And when COVID-19 first broke out, we started working on a vaccine. We didn't know what, if it would affect dogs or cats or any of our core species of animals. Um, so we quick, quickly did um, create a vaccine for dogs and cats. As we first heard, it was diagnosed in them. It ended up that it wasn't really necessary. The dogs and cats that got it, you know, weren't suffering that badly. 
Um, but it was important that we had this in case it did move to other species. As you probably know, it moved to zoo animals, interestingly enough, tigers um, and apes, and they were quite worried because those tigers and apes, if they pass away, as you know, there's very few of those and there, many of them are endangered. So we have been working with zoos. We've um, provided COVID uh, vaccine to 70 zoos around the U.S., 11,000 doses. We've donated them. We're not, this isn't a, we're not in the business of making zoo animal um, vaccines, although we do provide many of ours and donate them to zoos around the world. But the reason that matters is it is now in animals where it really is deadly and, and it has a risk of going back and becoming a variant to infect humans, and that's a mink. Um, so we are work, working to try to do that with the USDA under emergency use, use authorization. So this human health, animal health thing is very connected, and we do need to take a one health view of it. All of our technologies and all of our manufacturing sites have the same requirements that human health would have in the sense of regulations and things like that. But I do feel like we have a unique opportunity in animal health to affect human health both from that side, but also because um, having a pet makes you healthier. Um, watching your pet suffer gives you stress. Stress for you is not good. I mean, some of the most impactful thing letters I get is letters from um, pet owners talking about the impact of one of our products, like an Apoquel for atopic dermatitis and how that changed um, their dog and how that changed their relationship and how much happier they are. Their dog is and more healthy they are. And so there is a one health, whether you look at emerging infectious disease or just the human animal bond. Um, I think is really impactful as well. That human-animal bond, what a source of relief and, and joy and impact that you've had on people's lives by making it possible for them to feel safe. And uh, this has been a whole dimension, I think, of people under stress that, that really make and activate people's contribution. So that, to me, is a, a game-changer that you've created. And if you were to, uh, many of the people who are listening to this broadcast or watching it are earlier in their career. And if you had the magical wand that you could wave over yourself and uh, pay a visit to the 20-year-old version of Kristen. What kind and loving advice or harsh uh, coaching would you give her in terms of thinking about the steps that you've taken so far and the and incredible opportunities you've had? Um, okay. At the risk of, uh, you know, pulling my musical taste out, there's a, I'm a big country music fan and there's a song by Jordan <laughs> Davis and in it, they have this famous line, which I think is maybe some of the best career advice. And it says, do what you love and then call it work. Um, and that, that's the heart of sort of, I mean, I started my career early on, believe it or not, my first job was in animal health, actually for a legacy company of Zoetis, but that's probably more coincidence you'd say. But I think I've been successful because I've always done what I loved. I've been passionate about what I did. And I think you're willing to work really hard when you do what you love. Um, you're more curious. Um, you want to learn. So you're open, more open-minded. And if you watch my career trajectory, it was not a straight line, but I always tried to do things that I was passionate about and importantly, follow leaders that I thought I was going to learn a lot from. Um, and so I've done everything from uh, commercial real estate to private equity, uh, to consulting, I, manufacturing and supply, HR, commercial. And I think each one of those steps gave me a very different perspective that maybe helped me as CEO understand that different things, uh, different people are motivated by different things, different functions need, you know, different things as you do it. And I think it's made me a stronger leader, but I will say like, I didn't do it because I thought it was the right thing. I did each job because I thought that was going to be really cool. I was going to learn tons and I was going to have fun. And I think if you're having fun, you're just a better leader, you're, you're more present and you're willing to work much harder. So I don't know if that's, you know, the best, I don't know if it's the best advice for your people, but I do think if you do what you love, um, you'll be much more successful. 
Well, it adds a whole dimension to the, the power and impact that you have, and it recruits like hell. And I'm feeling that <laughs> in the way you talk today when you're passionate about what you do. It's really tough to fake that, and uh, it's visceral. So congratulations on the progress you've made. Uh, congratulations on a, on a heck of a year uh, against all odds, and uh, really delighted that you could have the time to spend with us today to inspire the next generation of leaders. So thanks again, Kristen. Thanks so much, Mark. It was great talking with you. Do what you love, but call it work. And throw a little money in the plate at church. Send your prayers up and your roots down deep. Add a few limbs to your Thanks for listening tree. to the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm Mark Thompson. And please don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes every week.